0: The Being an Engineer podcast is a repository for industry knowledge and a tool through which engineers learn about and connect with relevant companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. Enjoy the show!
1: welcome to the being an engineer show today we have dan slasky Uh, he's a person i really look up to dan is a mechanical design engineer which is my passion and he does hands-on prototyping manufacturing and he has a very vast knowledge in industrial components packaging and labeling so in essence if i understand your linkedin bio correctly you could be an inventor and prototype a wide range of products is that right
0: uh, yeah, I like to think so. I have a few, I have a few patents, uh, under my name and I guess going back to like elementary school, uh, one of the things I'd written in my yearbook when I, when I grew up was I wanted to be an inventor. So I feel like if I've done that, then I've, I've done, done okay with myself. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think what you've said is fair. Uh,
1: it's funny you say that because I've done the same, very similar. When I was to my earliest memory, when a teacher asked me what I wanted to be, I said inventor. And everyone looked at me all weird when I said that in the classroom, I remember. But anyways. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: exactly. And then, you know, there was no inventor major in college, right? So that's why I went towards mechanical engineering because I thought that might be the 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 closest thing to, to get me
1: there. And I went into genetics to pursue that. <laughs> but well, I ultimately ended up coming back to mechanical engineering. <laughs> Cool. So Dan is a writer for a blog or website called Solid Smack, which many mechanical designers uh, may be aware of. If not, I'm going to hyperlink Dan's Solid Smack blog in the description of the podcast so you guys can reference all the different questions I'm going to ask him because I'm going to be pulling from a lot of the articles that Dan has written in Solid Smack. And these are going to be questions that he can expand on, some things that he shared with us. And my little introduction, usually the style of writing that I like to read is very direct and succinct. But uh, Dan has a style that he sprinkles on humor and it actually makes it better. And I can't think of any other articles that I've read that the author has done this correctly. Uh, sometimes, you know, authors, they sprinkle the humor and it's not funny. But Dan's jokes are actually funny in the articles. <laughs> but anyways, um, I came across Dan because he popped up in my social media feed. For a solid Mac, and here are some of the questions that i have let's see okay so this is of the article that dan wrote called how to not be a noob so basically a, a very a rookie uh, someone that's starting out and he says um, i want to ask him what are the most important mechanical principles and fundamentals that a designer should know
0: yeah, so well, I guess first, thank you for the the compliment uh, on the articles. I I call them infotainment, so I, I try and make them entertaining, but also have kind of to keep people engaged, but also kind of have um, real quality information uh, sprinkled in there as well. So I, I appreciate that people see that, and um, sometimes you just feel like you're throwing stuff into the world and don't know if it's sticking. So it means a lot to to hear that uh, people are getting value out of it. Um, yeah, so to, to get to your question, well, I guess I guess first, you know, I'm, I've listened to the podcast and I'm a fan, and so I'm, I'm, you're you're coming at me hard. I'm used to these softball questions, like how did you get into engineering and stuff. So, so I'll do my best to to, to answer all these questions. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these are, are tricky to to condense, but so um, as far as the most the most important uh, mechanical principles, so. Um, I guess one thing about being a, a mechanical designer is we are such jacks of all trades and and there's just so many different different paths that you could go on so there's people designing wildly different things that will will pull on um, different different backgrounds and different different specialties but um to to boil it down I would certainly say that that statics and dynamics uh, is is very foundational um, i guess in my mind to most things that that people would be would be designing. So that's kind of the the ability to uh, understand a free body diagram and understand uh, if you put uh, different forces, um, you know, how that will react uh, throughout a system. So I think that would definitely be um, pretty pretty critical to to most to most designers. Um, uh, I guess to take it one step further, there's a there's a class and a book called just machine design, which takes that kind of the next level to, um, industrial applications, uh, of a lot of those principles. So, you know, when you're thinking of like, uh, bolt preload or, um, buckling failure or all that kind of stuff. So, um, kind of, um, specific industrial applications, uh, of a lot of those, um, kind of, kind of basic principles.
1: Perfect. Um, yeah, right on with the with the hardball questions. i got a, li- <laughs> a good list here. All right. Let's see. In an article, you mentioned the way we create awesome designs is by researching the how. Um, this is by researching vendors, components, and processes. Could you elaborate and provide an example of how to successfully do this? And if you could be as specific as possible, the better.
0: Yeah, sure. So, um you know engineering uh, needs to live in the world of a practicality and reality so um, you know an, an idea is only is only an idea if you can't make it real if you can't make it tangible and, and practical and I guess um, in particular um, uh, my world which is product design uh, we're we're not just looking to make even one of these things but we're really thinking about um, scale so how can we make something that Um, every single one of these parts or every single one of these assemblies will, will function and work as intended. Um, and it gets more complicated as you do that. You can, you can do one and you don't necessarily need to think so much about the process or need to think so much about tolerance stack up. So a lot of this goes back to to process and understanding different, different manufacturing, uh, processes, um, uh, uh, at least enough there's so many of them out there that um i just try and be uh what i call kind of like conversationally competent in a lot of these different processes so that i know at the start of a design um you know I, i'm thinking well you know will this be a sheet metal part or or will this be will be, will this be an injection molded part and um that can dictate um dictate the design from the beginning rather than getting to the very end and then trying to figure out how to make it so um, I guess a couple examples, like coming straight out of my my past week, is is uh, we're designing uh, I'm designing a medical product, and it's lower volume than than we traditionally do. So whereas normally we would use uh, injection molding, it's not really feasible because we're only looking at about 50 parts. So um, there's other ways to do it, and and one that I've used in the past is called urethane casting, which is kind of a soft tooling, low volume part. So having the knowledge of that allows us to still meet a lot of our goals of still having uh, a part that looks, looks great. So we don't have to just put some block on the wall and um, it it still has um, a lot of uh, eases assembly. It still has a lot of clip-in features and a lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff, but without the the, the large risk and the large cost of going with injection molding. So um, it's knowing that how there, right? And then you could take that a step further. Maybe if we're only making five, we might do, uh, you can maybe just do direct digital manufacturing and just just 3D print those five parts and stuff. But it, all, it has to come back to knowing that the how, knowing that those processes uh, exist and understanding uh, a little bit about them. Um, and I guess just to give one more, one more quick example, I'm working on another project, and uh, this one's kind of interesting. It's very similar to something I did 10 years ago. And it's an underwater uh, component, and it has a, a small splined blind spline brooch in it and when I did it 10 years ago uh, it was really um, we had we had to get a special tool made a, a rotary brooch to make this part because it's not easily manufacturable and find uh, and, and again working with vendors to sort of end up part of the how right of finding vendors that are willing to do this have the machinery and, and are willing to work with stainless it was difficult now ten years later there's uh, direct uh, excuse me um, direct metal laser direct metal laser centering has come a long way so now we can get this part uh, ad- additively made out of stainless um, in, in days and not have to buy the tooling so it's all just knowing you know what's out there and and, and um, kind of putting these puzzle pieces together um, by knowing that the different pieces even exist
1: Absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Uh, when I learned um, mechanical design engineering, my mentor, Aaron Mancur, he started teaching me. And the first lesson that he taught me was about manufacturing processes. Before even diving into CAD, he's like, you need to know how things are made. Therefore, you know how to design for them. So it makes total sense what you just said. All right. Next question. Uh, you mentioned research is about Search for knowledge, but requires exceptional knowledge to know where to look, how to spot key details, and what threads to follow. So my questions are how do you know where to look, and how do you know which threads to follow? Teach us your instinct basically
0: yeah, right <coughs> what's the secret sauce right so some of this is is hard uh, again, as I've said, because some of this has just come from uh it, and it's good it 's a good exercise for me to think about things that i've slowly learn to do uh, over, you know, 20 years of experience and now how to explain that to somebody else. Um, so I'll do do my best again, but um, I think there's a couple of things here. So um, one is, um, is to have a curious mind, right? So just to, to have a curious mind, to always be, always be looking deeper, always be looking for things that um, that don't seem right. Or, or another ways of saying it is, is scratching your own itch or asking good questions. So a lot of times it's just, there's just something that, that um, fundamentally doesn't seem seem correct about something. And so, you know, I'll just keep going deeper and deeper, right? So I'll read the data sheet and, I'll, and I'm sifting through all of this. A lot of it's just essentially marketing material. And then there'll just be one little note and I'm, and, and it just kind of, you know, it's it's a spidey sense as you've said, but there's something about that note that I'm like, yes, that's that's the key here, right? That's answering this question, or that will point me to the next resource um, to to continue to go further until I, I guess until I feel satisfied, until I feel like, okay, now I now I understand this, now this now this makes uh, makes sense to me, um, and uh, you know, again, a lot of this has to do with. Um, being a critical thinker, uh, having a curious mind, um, and uh, a, a lot of this too is is what I call being like a, a, a T. Well, I didn't invent this, but it's called a T-shaped person, where the um, the upright of the T is kind of your uh, your depth of knowledge. So you have a strong a strong depth in um, in your field and um, in your specific application of that field, and then um, and then a, a large breadth as well, because so many things can come from uh, things that don't necessarily seem related, so hobbies or other areas. And um, so, yeah, I'm not sure I answered your question there, but but uh, it's just kind of one of those things where you just feel it. You know it when it's right, and you know it when it's not. And you just keep, you, if you keep looking, there's kind of a um, there's kind of a karma where if you just keep looking and, and if you just keep kind of following the process. Uh, there's just so many times where you you think you've turned up every stone, or you think you're about to give up, and then and then the sky's part, and then and then the answers presented if you're just willing to to, to kind of keep keep searching.
1: Absolutely, and uh, it makes total sense to me because uh, reading one of your blogs, you mentioned this guy Jude Pullen. I don't know if I mentioned him correctly, uh, but he has some lectures on YouTube. And I came across him because uh, I came from your blog, so I hyperlinked it up on another tab on my browser. And in one of his lectures, he does talk about this T-depth person. I don't know if uh, I said it correctly. Sure, yeah. And I just happened to watch that this morning. So when he said that, I can totally visualize that T in my mind.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think it might come from as well from this company, Ideo, which is a famous product design firm, but... Um it's just so helpful to be, to be a more well-rounded person. It it just, uh, it's going to provide insights and um, things. It's happened to me so many times where I like bicycles. And so I'll, I'll see something on a bicycle that uh, it's just this kind of serendipity um, that uh, not, not to start off on too airy fairy of a a note here, but (laughs) I've just seen it work so many times that, that I'm a, I'm a believer in it.
1: For sure. I'm already thinking about the title for this podcast and something to (laughs) do with serendipity. (laughs) All right, next one. So if going back to school to take expensive industrial design classes is not an option for some of us, we have full-time jobs, etc. What are maybe uh, a list, maybe of two or three things of industrial design skills that a great mechanical design engineer should possess? And would you happen to have any affordable resources we could look into? Uh,
0: yeah. So uh, again, a good question. So, um, you know, full discrepancy here. Um, I, am not an industrial designer. I do a fair bit of work that is, um, has a lot of industrial design. Um, and and so I would say I'm, I'm kind of a B B minus industrial designer where I can probably do better than most uh, mechanical engineers, but you know, real industrial designers can kind of make things, uh, beautiful in a way that I, I don't claim that I can. Um, yeah, there's certainly some great books out there and there's one that's escaping my mind, but it's basically, um, I think it's called principles of design and it's all these little one pagers on kind of interesting, um, phenomena. Uh, so, you know, why, why we like the way certain things look or why certain colors. So, um, you know, why the, the certain spirals are attractive and why certain ratios are attractive. Um, so that's, that's certainly, uh, that would certainly be a great resource. Um, but again, I think a lot of this goes back to, um, curiosity. So, uh, I love design. So I try and buy things from my own home that are, uh, often, you know, pieces of art, you know, as much as anything else. So there's a lot of brands, um, OXL and a lot of these brands that make stuff that's, that's really clearly, you know, it, it's well-designed, um, and it's also, uh, it's also nice to look at. And so they've clearly put in that extra effort um, to make it look that way. So, yeah, so be curious. Go to museums, right? You go to uh, art museums, go to design museums. Um, you can go to high-end furniture stores or go on websites of high-end furniture stores. Um, uh, all these things will kind of... Um, uh, a lot of it's personal, right? So a lot of it's personal aesthetics and personal s- styles. So there's not really... Right or wrongs, but it will it will um, it will inform that, and it will uh, give you things. A lot of this is, um, too, i I'll say is uh, is emulating, okay, or copying. Um, you know, so uh, recently we were designing a speaker grill cover, and so we were looking around, and we uh, we looked at the Nest cover, and it has this really nice um, uh, spiral pattern on it, and. Um, uh oh, another great resource too is actually uh this is kind of funny, but if you go on Pinterest you can find all kinds of um collections where people have typed in speaker grills, for example, and you can look at all these different speaker grills and um kind of see what, what's trending and what kind of styles are out there and um and start to start to have that inform your design. I mean we want to make products that are that are modern and that feel appropriate with the time. Um and then I guess a few tactical things, you know, is A lot of it's about making making the product look look finished and look look thought out. So, um, you know, people can see that. So if a project's rushed, you know, and it got to the end um, and, you know, there's sharp corners and, you know, holes aren't concentric and all that kind of stuff, it's not going to look like a polished, well thought out design. So there's a lot of simple things you could do, you know, just put 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 fillets on parts, uh, learn SOLIDWORKS um, surfacing. Um, methods, right? You know, if you don't know those techniques, you're not going to be able to make things that look that look swept and look nice. Um, understand processes again, right? A lot of this goes back to injection molding. So you need to understand injection molding if you want to make a lot of you know beautiful looking covers and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And then just develop a, b- a bag of tricks, you know, use flathead screws, use brushed metal, you know, use things that, you know, look nice and look polished and, and look finished.
1: Absolutely. As you were saying that all these different things crossed through my mind. Uh, number one, I wanted to recommend to the listeners the, the documentary called Objectified that Dan recommended to me via email. Uh, really good documentary. <clears throat> and then it also reminded me when I shadowed a couple of industrial design classes in college as I was trying to make up my mind as to what I was going to do. And I remember everyone using Pinterest. This was like a year and a half ago. Uh, everyone was using Pinterest. And I thought to myself just now, like, what if we were to make a social media just for industrial designers or people that do product design? But it looks like it was ready to be made in Pinterest. So that's where people well, go.
0: I want to give you, I'd give you one more thing if I could. I think this will play back into your, your serendipity uh, <laughs> title. But there's a quote that I like, and I find this, again, works. Uh, it's, it's um, when I'm working on a problem, I never think about beauty. I, only, I think only how to solve the problem. But when I finish, if the solution is not beautiful, I know it's wrong. And I find that happens a lot of times where by, you know, when something looks, again, unfinished, it looks it looks like a kludge. It looks like there's too many pieces. But when you simplify a design to kind of its, its barest elements, so when you're using mechanics of materials or using one piece to do multiple functionalities, there's kind of this inherent beauty that that can come from that. Uh, as well, and so I find that happens so many times where it's it's um, it's not my objective, but just kind of the um, I guess you could say the the form ends up driving the function in in kind of interesting and and um, beautiful ways often.
1: Nice. Well, going off of serendipity, uh, you just remember <laughs> me. Uh, this is a cool question. So Tim Ferriss has a podcast. He he wrote the Four Hour Work Week, and he likes to ask his guests on his podcast. What's one purchase you've made in the past year or so under $100 that you absolutely love? And I want to rephrase this one to this podcast to what's something in your house, Dan, that you absolutely love the design of?
0: Oh, gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, well, uh, geez, right now I'm looking at my my bike. I have a, a really high-end uh uh, high end bike and it's um it's a high end triathlon bike so it's all it's all aerodynamically it's called a trek speed concepts and it's all black and again it's kind of the the um function is driving the form where, you know, there's aerodynamics involved and they've hid the cabling and um so uh I, I try not to use use the word love on on objects but I, I do really like this thing and it is it is beautiful and well thought out and <laughs> has a nice little compartment everything fits I I don't know I I get a lot of joy out of that so
1: I'm not gonna get mad at you if you love it (laughs) (laughs) right on okay so you mentioned reading the McMaster catalog as a tip as a tip for mechanical engineers when I read that I started sharing that tip with everybody I know and they're like wow that's actually really cool because the goal is to know what's out there so when you're designing you just can pull from the catalog but my question is, any tips on how to read the McMaster Catalog online? Because it's not a book that you can go from page 1 to page 1000.
0: Yeah, so uh, don't read it as a book unless you're <laughs> a glutton for pain or in prison or something like that. I don't rec- Or filibustering, yeah, I don't recommend that. <laughs> but um, the, way, the way I like to do a lot of things is, uh, is somewhat opportunistically. So um, if, you're, if you're working on a project... Um, that involves a, a a component of some kind, uh, w- whatever it is, a, a fastener or a spring. Um, I would say don't just go, you know, find the flathead screw that you need. Um, take a little extra time at that point and and read uh, read that section. So read about all the different kinds of fasteners, all different kinds of fastener um, heads, for example, all the different kinds of of drive um, of styles. Um, they will do these little blurbs in there where they'll explain things. And even for certain, um, uh, they'll explain, you know, they will have like a a page that explains like pipe threads and different kinds of stuff. So just take the time to, yeah, just take the time to do it, um, uh, opportunistically. And, um, it's hard to do when you're busy, but, but it pays, pays for itself in the long run. So I, I don't have the whole catalog, memorized, but I've looked through it so many times <clears throat> over the year that there's often a time where there'll be some project where there's a little compartment in the back of my brain where I'm like, oh, I know, I know there's a thing and I know I've seen it. And so, you know, I know if I can go look at a certain section, I could find it. Um, and I mean, it, it gets even more. There's so many other catalogs. I mean, McMaster has 90% of stuff, but there's other other whole catalogs. You know, Southco and all these other catalogs as well. So um, it's really just about taking taking that extra time. Uh, again, being curious, um, and, and just just trying to be a sponge, just trying to absorb as much as you can because you don't know um, uh, you, you don't know when this stuff you know could come in handy. Um, and it's just it's it's adding to your you know your tool your toolkit in quotes right. It's just more stuff that you know about and more stuff that you can do, and um, more interesting ways that you can combine all these things to to solve problems.
1: Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for that golden nugget. So everyone that's listening right now, if you're driving, just make a mental note that whenever you go to McMaster and you're looking for a specific piece of hardware, don't just stop the search when you find what you were looking for. Actually, take the time to look at the section. So little by little, we start educating ourselves to know what's out there. Thank you so much for that. Next one. I've noticed that there's a ton of content available to get certifications on on CAD and SOLIDWORKS. You can learn tips and tricks and convert drawings to parts. Usually, when taking a CAD SOLIDWORKS class in college, that's the essence. They give you drawings, you turn them into parts. But there's not a lot of content to teach designers how to actually design what's in their head on CAD. Uh, hence, when designing complex parts, which model and technique do you like to use and why?
0: So, uh, I like, well, I love actually <laughs> uh, to use a, a, a concept called top-down or I call it in-context in design. Um, and uh, uh, just a quick explanation if people don't know. Basically, what, what I'm doing is I'm editing parts within an assembly. And what that allows you to do is reference um, other features, lines, holes, etc., cetera, from um, separate parts. So for example, you could make, if you're designing one part, you could make uh, a hole that is coincidence to the other hole. So if you move one hole, the other hole will move along with it. And I remember when I discovered this, it was by accident maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. I was just clicking around and I was like, liberty.
1: <laughs> Hole, yeah, there
0: you go. It's <laughs> like, "Holy smokes, you can you can do that!" <laughs> and um, it has been such a game changer. I mean, there's no reason anymore. I mean, if you have parts with holes that don't line up when they come in, um, you know, there's just that's amateur hour. There's just there's just no reason uh, there's just no reason to do that uh, anymore um, when when you can do this kind of in context uh, design stuff. Uh, it just lets you go so fast, particularly in the prototyping phase. Um, I will say that, um, there are some dangers to this, uh, and you need to be careful about it, um, because, uh, you're now creating links, uh, between these parts and these assemblies. So you need to be careful how you name things. You can accidentally break these links. Um, if you, I've seen all kinds of stuff happen, so, you know, I'll send the part, um, to a vendor to machine it and it has a link to an assembly to some other part and the vendor doesn't have that and the whole moved or something like that. So I've seen this kind of stuff happen. So you, you, you need to understand uh, what you're doing a little bit. Um, and, and so what I like to do is when I get to release, I will undo everything. So I will break all those links and I will fix everything. But from a prototyping phase, um, it just allows you to go so fast. Uh, it reduces design errors. Uh, it is such a powerful, powerful uh, methodology. Um, so, as far as learning how to do it, uh, might be something I write an article about if people are interested. But yeah, I would, I would definitely um, search. You, know, you could search SolidWorks for external references or in-context design, or um, I'm sure there's a lot of good resources out there. But
1: I'm going to answer a couple things about the comments. So, number one, if you could write an article on that, it would be amazing. Uh, because I think there's a shortage on content on that specific topic. Um, if all the designers and including myself, I am relatively familiar with, uh, top-down modeling. Uh, Is, is it synonymous with in-context modeling, top-down in-context?
0: I believe they are synonymous. Um, but you know, again, this is stuff that I've been doing for, I'm kind of out of the, um, student world. So this is just stuff that I do and maybe I've forgotten a little bit of the, uh, um, the names for these things, but that's that's my practice. Whatever you call it.
1: Okay, for sure. So when doing top-down modeling, if if we don't want to learn by trial and error, which could take a little while, and we want to expedite the learning curve, I just wonder if there are any specific resources uh, online that we can utilize. Any come to mind or no?
0: Yeah. So again, I I learned some of this so many years ago. There was um, there was uh, at the time I used a, a solid professor had good video tutorials and um, there was a book called the solidworks bible Um, so this is like 10 years ago but at the time those were were really good resources for me and then again using the solidworks uh, help feature is pretty good so i think if you put external references in there um, a lot of what you're doing is is using the convert entities tool or the offset entities sketch tool Um, so understand those and understand basically that you can click on uh, a feature of another part, and then using those two sketch tools, um, uh, basically grab that information and pull it into your part. So uh, I think if people started playing with those a little bit, um, uh, and maybe I would say do it carefully, <laughs> so start on a project where uh, risk is low, um, I, think, I think people could, um, could get going.
1: Absolutely, I think that's great advice. And of course, uh, all the listeners, uh, we know people that don't like to do a top down; they prefer bottom down, etc. But I really wanted to get dance wanted to get dance input on that, and uh, I will be practicing top down. So looking for those resources. Thank you for that.
0: A lot of it, yeah, a lot of it's just speed. You know, things are just going faster and faster, and so um, it lets me it lets me go fast.
1: Let's see. So next one is. Uh, let's say that I want to design and sell my own products that I design as a side hobby. So I have like a full-time job and then as a side hobby, I sell the products I design. You mentioned that Joey Roth does this in one of your blogs. So I have three questions about that. Number one, what resource would you recommend that I consume if I, if I want that to be my goal?
0: Yeah, so this is something that so most of my work has been uh, for other companies. So I have products that I've designed that I've uh, yet to go to market. And so this is, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. Um, I would say one resource, there's a book called, I think it's called The Long Tail. Um, and basically what it's about is um, trying to find, um, I guess, niche products that uh, meet smaller needs that maybe... Um, Larger companies have ignored because it wasn't wasn't worth their time and effort to you know to make uh, this this might be kind of a Tim Ferriss thing too right to find products that, that meet a need that hasn't been addressed but isn't huge right um, and there's a lot of advantages to that right as a, as a single person um, that that pool might be very valuable to you whereas it's not to a big company so to find uh, products that meet to meet more uh, niche industries I would say uh, might be a great way to go. Um, uh, you're not you're not competing uh, with other people. you don't have to worry about people trying to uh, steal your IP necessarily because it might not be uh, worth um, worth doing that and there's again, there's so many um, interesting uh, 3d printing and laser cutting. there's so many ways to make products um, cheaply without a lot of tooling and stuff. so um, I think that'd be a great recommendation because if there's one thing I've learned is that is that getting a product to market takes, an order of magnitude more effort than you think it's going to take. And that's why so many fail because it's going to take three, four, five times more effort um, than, than anybody thinks. It's just, it's just the nature of, of, uh, of the beast. There's just so much involved from um, sourcing uh, to uh, certifications. It's, it's just, it's, it's a very, um, very intensive process.
1: Okay, so can one truly make a sustainable living selling products uh, that one makes? Because it sounds like making products only allows you to make one-offs or maybe you don't have the ability to mass-produce and package. Hence, how would you make a living from it if you can only sell a few units?
0: I I definitely think you can and I think think more people should. I think it, it takes a certain amount of guts to try and go off and do it. But um I I used to hang out at a makerspace a lot called uh, Tech Shop. Love and that place. Yeah, yeah, I was a big fan and you'd see people doing it. There's all the examples of the the Oru kayak and all this stuff that people uh people were doing um, making there and you talk to people and I've known people since then that have gone off and and done their own thing. But um and I guess kinda kinda my recommendation too would be um, it doesn't have to be one or the other so if you've got a good job uh, do this after work and do this on weekends and and step into it and then um, you know transition as you start to pass some success threshold where you where you see sales come in or, or whatever it doesn't um, uh, you don't necessarily need to to, to um,
1: burn the burn the ships <laughs> and go for it um, yeah, absolutely <clears throat> I, I wonder. Uh, what the next step is is let's say that you're at unfortunately a tech shop uh, they, they don't operate any longer, do they?
0: No, yeah, unfortunately they yeah, they didn't make it as a as kind of a franchise so it's just a, as far as I know, it's just a bunch of individual um, things that have popped up over the country
1: okay well let's let's say that like a tech shop place or a workplace comes back or there's something similar and then you go there, you manufacture something, uh, you make a prototype that works that solves this niche but you only made one and you need to mass produce it. Um, any tips on what to do next after that?
0: Yeah, so I'll give a, a shout out to a local friend. Uh, his name is Callie Keen and he helps people do this. He's got a company called Red Blue Collective and um, he he does exactly that because there, there gets to be a whole bunch of new skills that you might need besides just the technical skills. So this is where it comes a lot into um, like marketing and, and business, for example. Um, you know, engineers may not be great, great marketers, but that's, that's really important to kind of educate people about your product. And so, um, there's a lot of cool ways to do it, a lot of cool, cheap ways to do it. Right. There's like, you can, you can, uh, kickstart a project, um, you can build an Instagram, uh, campaign, but to actually do these things well and do these uh, things successfully, uh, really takes, um, I think a lot of, um, Takes a lot of strategy, you know. If you want to do a Kickstarter campaign, I think you have to do it really well, um, or kind of not at all, for it to, to kind of really blow up.
1: Right on. I was just reading over Red Blue Collective. Uh, I'm definitely going to check out that website and get a hold of him.
0: He'd be yeah, he'd be a great interview as well. He's he's a super super interesting, super knowledgeable guy. So check him out.
1: For sure. All right. So this is a good time to mention uh, who's sponsoring the podcast testfixturedesign.com is where you learn more about how we can help medical device engineering teams who need turnkey custom test fixtures or automated equipment to assemble, inspect, characterize or perform verification or validation testing on their devices. All right, so back to the questions. What are two technical magazines that you think are best for mechanical design engineers to read and stay up to date with the latest news?
0: So, uh, there's one that I've liked for a long time called, uh, machine design magazine. And, um, it has a lot of interesting articles. Uh, it's actually full of, um, a lot of, uh, even the advertisements are, are kind of interesting because it's kind of like going to a trade show where it's all the different companies that, uh, that you actually might be interested all the switches and all the, the gears and pulleys and stuff, um, are in that. So that's, that's one I would recommend that I've... Subscribed to for a long time, and then uh, I don't know if you're uh, intentionally trying to give me a plug here, but I got to I got to give a shout out to uh, to SolidSmack. So I'm not sure we're (laughs) we're exactly a technical publication. Uh, I don't know what we are, but uh, that's not true. We do we do we you know we have um, the articles that I do, which I try to have kind of be evergreen articles about uh, my thoughts and philosophies on design. But there is a ton of tech news and um, we stay up to date on um, you know all the all the different kinds of uh, software that's coming out and hardware and all kinds of interesting stuff. So, and we try and keep it fun. So um, I'd say check that out.
1: No, that's actually very true. Uh, Solid Mag is great. The only problem is that I've already read all of Dan's articles, <laughs> so I have no more to read. Um, but uh, are you maybe the founder of Solid Mac or how, how does that work? No,
0: there's a guy. His name is Josh Mings, and um, he's been doing this forever. So this goes back way, way back. And I was just uh, essentially just a huge, a huge fan, and just kind of reached out as a fan, and um, wanted to pick his brain, pick their brain, on a few things. And they said you should be a writer, and I said uh, no, I'm not a writer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did, and it, and it kind of went, uh, it kind of went from there. So. Um, yeah, no, it's very. It's there's a lot of writers. It's it's very uh, user uh, community driven. So we're always interested in in, in new writers. Or, um, uh, yeah, I highly encourage people to to reach out. I, I was doing a series called Ask an Engineer for a while. So if people have questions, or um, otherwise, I'll just keep rambling about things that I want to ramble about.
1: So. Oh sure thing. All right. So next one is this one's kind of funny. Uh, you said it typically. It typically takes three iterations or more to get to a working first article. Uh, Understanding this rule of thumb and more importantly, getting your organization to understand can be very powerful. If one tries to give you a hard time about needing at least three iterations, this is the funny part. Remind them how it famously took Dyson 5,127 prototypes to develop this vacuum. So my (laughs) my question is, have you ever had to do this? Remind someone that.
0: Uh, all the time, uh, all the time. This is something that I'm actually still doing at work, uh, very recently. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of the nature of the work that we do of, of physical products. So I, so, so first of all, that, that three thing is that I think that's the thing that I, I just kind of found kind of empirically over time. And I've, I've heard, I've read this and heard this a bunch of other places a, as well. So uh, there's a little bit of a, a rule of thumb magic to that, but um, wh- wh- what I see happen is once people see that first prototype, um, there's kind of this thing that happens in people's brains where they say that looks real, right? That feels real to me. Um, let's ship it. What's, what's, what's the holdup, right? You're telling me you have two more prototypes and it's going to have all the costs and all the time and <laughs> all the, all the whatever of two more prototypes, and what they're not seeing is like what happens between prototype two and three, which is all the like typically all the design for manufacturing stuff. So um, where you're reducing cost and you're thinking about assembly and you're thinking about, um, can we make every one of these look like every other one of these and, and um, the drawings and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. So um, it's a lot about education um it's a lot about setting expectations up front. So you know, if people don't know it, you just have to set expectations, and it's a lot about you know, you just have to educate and 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 sell, you know, sell it, and uh, it's in everyone's best interest. You know, as I said, the last one reduces costs and reduces assembly time, but um, just being up front and and not um, making sure there's no surprises and and finding ways to sell the concept. So, like I said, the first one often I'll call proof of concept or prototype zero. So that way it doesn't really feel like a prototype to people because it's, it's kind of a throwaway. So, um, uh, it's a challenge. Yeah. It's always, it's always a challenge, but, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a part of communication and and being diplomatic and, and pushing for, for the best, um, what's best in the long run and, and the best quality products that you can in a fast way as well.
1: Oh, for sure. Uh, The next one is also about uh, educating the customer. So all the freelance mechanical design engineers or or CAD technicians listening to this, this is going to be very valuable. I've I've done some freelance work too, and it feels like we have to educate the customer on the things that you just mentioned. And we're spending our time teaching people this instead of getting on the computer and doing what they actually need for us to do. So is there a more efficient way to educate the customer on do you have maybe a process, or like you send them some videos or some books, so you don't have to spend your time teaching them this? Or there's no way around it?
0: This this is again, this is so tough, and this is the challenge. Uh, this is the challenge that that we all all face. And some of this is trying to find good customers. Um, so you don't want customers to go to you a little bit. That say, you know, you know, you're the subject matter expert, and I trust you. And I know your process works and you do great work. So I'm not going to to tinker with that. Um, but a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it is, is, um, is educating. And, and um, one thing uh, that can be hugely helpful is, um, and again, so difficult is to get people to agree on product requirements. So a lot of times, you know, people kind of know what they want at the start, but, uh, don't exactly know what they want at the start, and so you end up spending a few cycles, um, kind of just getting them um, to to really lock in what, what it is uh, what it is that they want. So um, again, it's you know it's totally in their best interest to to at least try to come up with requirements, but but to work with them. So again, to say, look, let's just build um, let's just build a super quick mock-up, right? Let's just do a 3D printed thing or something, um, you know, really small budget, quick time. And, uh, and then do kind of a phase gate process and then we'll, we'll evaluate that and then we'll come up with requirements and then we'll, uh, we'll work on the next phase. So, um, it's a little bit of pulling people along and, um, it's, uh, it's just something that, um, you have to be diplomatic about and you have to be, you know, you have to be patient about, um, and it's a little bit of a struggle, but, you know, I'll tell you this, you know, the fact that this isn't, that this, so much of this is challenging. There's so much information to absorb, right? All this McMaster stuff is endless information, how to deal with customers. It makes our job exciting and it makes it very difficult to, um, you know, it means you can't automate us, right? There's all these different skills and all these different things um, that's, that's all part of it. And so, uh, you could see it as a challenge or you could just see it as, as an, as kind of exciting and job security. Interesting. Job security there
1: you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good way to think about it. I like it. So,
0: so I'm sorry. I'm not big into like, you know, the, the listicle, you know, here's the one thing that you need to say, you know, a lot of it is, <laughs> a lot of it's, is just patience and, and, um, and grit and just getting a little bit better. Um, Um, Or maybe, you know, maybe trying to write articles and point people to the articles. But, you know, at the end of the day, people are just going to ignore a lot of that. So you just got to just got to keep fighting the good fight.
1: For sure. And that's an experienced response. Sounds like you've been through that process several times. You know what works. And uh, I I, I can totally see that people are so busy. Even if you had the perfect resource, they're probably not going to read it. You probably have to explain it. So I totally understand. Let me see. So the next one talks a little bit about the prototype that you mentioned before. And sometimes you may have a virtual prototype on CAD and you're ready to transfer to a physical prototype. And in your articles, you said that if you suspect that it might be a time to transition to a physical prototype, then the answer is probably yes. But my question is, how do you gain that suspicion, that sixth sense, that gut feeling that makes you want to make the physical prototype? (laughs) I know it's hard to teach.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so... A lot of these questions um i feel like i I like to think of us a little bit as um as craftspeople right and this is this is our craft you know it's a it's a digital craft but it's still our craft so um um you know how do you know what tools to use how do you know how do you know when you know it's it's a part of you know it's a part of being an excellent crafts person um I'll say a lot of this too. Also, you know, the answer will be it depends. So it depends a lot on you have. To, I'm always doing a little bit of a calculation in my head, which is um, a risk mitigation calculation. So if uh, the 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 real prototype is uh, 3D printed, uh, just do it. You can get a $300 3D printer and $20 spools of PLA. Um, there should be no thought there um but sometimes um you know we do stuff that has very high tooling cost and very long lead times um we make a lot of custom cables and um there's not really a good way to prototype it so you need to be um you need to do a lot more uh, uh analytical kind of stuff um you know ahead of time and not not so much physical prototyping but as a general rule i find that engineers live way too much in the world of uh, virtual prototyping, um, and I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that uh, it feels safe, right? It's it's a it's a controlled environment, and it feels safe. And once it gets out of there, it's out of your hands, and it's real, and people can point at it and people can criticize it. But when it's in that little box in front of you, you could say, "Oh no, no," you know, "Yeah, I, I'm still changing. I'm still working on it." You know, don't worry about that. But but you're you're making it real, and um, it's scary, but. Um, you, you got to get past it. I mean, there's all these tropes, but you got to fail fast. You got to move forward. You're not doing it. You're not doing yourself any favors in the long run by, um, uh, virtual prototyping is, is, amazing. I love it. I use it t- to the nth degree, but you, you got to make it real and you got to, you, you got to just take that leap. Um, and, uh, you got to be, you got to be kind of brave on some of this stuff and, um, you know, be willing to you know have a thick skin and take your punches and, and learn from it and, and move on because, um, Again, that's what makes, you know, that's what makes, there's a, there's a thing called the, the Johari window, which is, um, uh, your, your known knowns and your unknown, un, your known knowns, your unknown knowns, it's, it's this quadrant. And so when you make something real, you're figuring out, um, your, your, uh, your unknowns, the things that you don't, that you don't know. And you can only do that really by, by making it real.
1: That's amazing. Such an amazing response. And right now, I was looking up a visual of the Jahari window so I could look at it very well. Well, I think that we just created possibly what I think is uh one of the best episodes on mechanical design content on any platform because I've thoroughly searched for mechanical design, Solaris CAD, and I've listened to a lot of episodes. Uh But th- this information right here should help any aspiring mechanical design engineer Take their game to the next level. So I really appreciate it, Dan. How can people find you? Uh,
0: well, thank you. I don't. I don't know if I agree with that, but I. I uh, I, I love what we do. It's I'm so yeah. Uh, you know, the word passion gets thrown around, but man, it's so much fun. It is so exciting. We are helping people. Um, I want to help more people get into it and get excited about it. So um, if this helped anybody, um, that's that's awesome. Um, I've gotten a huge amount of value from your podcast, and uh, I want to go through and re-listen to a bunch of them because there's just been so many great resources and quotes. So what you guys are doing here is is really awesome. Um, if people want to reach out to me, uh, LinkedIn's a great way to do it. Um, you can email Dan at solidsmack.com. Um, yeah, those are those are probably two two excellent ways uh, excellent ways to find me.
1: All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And please don't forget to give it a five-star review on your favorite podcast. It really helps other people find the podcast. Until next time. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design
0: and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. It really helps other people find the show. To learn how your engineering team can leverage our team's expertise in developing turnkey custom test fixtures, automated equipment, and product design, visit us at testfixturedesign.com. Thanks for listening.